0: TEX-US.com.
1: Welcome to the 5G Guys Podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host, Dan McVaugh and Wayne
2: Smith. Welcome back to season three of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith. I'm joined by my co-host Dan McVall.
0: Hey Wayne, thanks everyone for joining us again. Uh, excited to kick off our second episode of our third season. And uh, today um, for this episode, we've got our guest Brian Daniels from Zeo. Uh, Brian's the Managing Director of Strategic Sales at Zeo, where he leads a team of their experts focused on long haul fiber, global and low latency networks, e-rate and mobile infrastructure which includes the foundation for 5G. Brian oversees strategy, operations, product development, implementation, and real estate options for ZAO. Included in this is fiber backhaul, front haul, as well as many turnkey implementations, including RF design, set acquisition, permitting and installation of equipment. Prior to working at ZAO, Brian was a professional football player with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, he went to the University of Colorado where he got his BS in business and then got an MBA from the University of Louisville. So Brian, it's great to have you and excited to learn about what Zayo's got going on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. This is uh, exciting. This is officially my first podcast, so I'm uh, I'm super happy to be here.
0: Perfect. Well, let's kick it off. Uh,
2: thanks Thanks Brian for taking the time to speak with us. Before we dive in, can you give us a little background for the folks who don't know about Zayo and in its history.
1: Yeah. It's funny. Most people that uh, see our name say, who is Zio or some variation out of, because, uh, you know, we're not a, uh, a super well-known like household name, like a CenturyLink or the old level threes, you know, Sprint or Verizon, but we are the largest privately held uh, fiber operator across uh, Canada, U S uh, Canada and Western Europe. Uh, we were founded in 2007 and really born out of a, an ideology that there was a lot of overbuilt fiber assets out there. So, at our core, kind of in the early years, was rolling up and aggregating a large fiber platform across the U.S., Canada, and then expanded into Europe. So, you know, we've managed through 40 plus acquisitions in the uh, in that time frame, and created a very interesting platform of owned fiber assets that we use to uh, service the mobile operators, the hyperscalers, uh, and so forth. So. Our largest portion of our revenue actually comes from the, the lease and IRU, uh, so long term lease of fiber. Uh, so we're the underlying networks for a lot of the carriers that support your home internet, your wireless networks, uh, and the and the big hyperscale and, and the clouds out there.
0: So, so Brian, thanks for uh, thanks for that that overview. One of the things that Wayne and I've talked about in prior episodes. If you go back to episode twenty three, I think that was season one or two. We did an episode called Wireless Needs Wires. And so, you know, here we just kicked off the introduction to Zayo about being, you know, fiber. And, and some people might be asking, well, what does it have to do with wireless? What does it have to do with 4G and 5G? So, so tell us, and that, I think that's a great segue into your role at Zayo, right?
1: Yeah, it really is. And I think Zayo was a very uh, early innovator in this space there was a small subset of customers as phones started to uh, get upgraded from 3G to 4G and the throughput needed at uh, each macro tower increased. Uh, Zeo was pretty innovative and leaned in and we built a lot of fiber to the tower. So this was back in the 2015, 2016 timeframe is when that really accelerated. But uh, there was a subset of customers or uh, companies really led by Zeo that deployed a lot of new fiber infrastructure connected to these cell towers that, depl- you know, that replaced a lot of copper connections that were out there uh, and, and really created the infrastructure for 4G and 5G to, uh, to really take hold. And I think today it's it's uh, it's commonplace to have a gig or higher type of connection at these towers and sometimes 10 gig connectivity to the tower as you see uh, the implementation of the C-band and everything that, that uh, 5G has to offer.
2: Yeah, it's pretty amazing when you think about the time frame that you laid out from 2007 to today and you're the largest privately held fiber provider. I mean, that's quite the accomplishment in the build out cuz we all know in our industry, you know, fiber is the long lead a lot of times in getting the site turned up. How how did you guys pull that off? I mean, that is that's impressive.
1: Uh it's it was a lot of hard work and I you know, it was uh and I think I can say this without getting myself in trouble but it used to be a lot easier to build fiber networks. Um, And we embarked on a lot of very big, you know, multi-thousand route mile uh, builds in a lot of big tier one markets, Denver, Atlanta, Dallas, Phoenix, uh, Nashville. And, And, you know, those builds, they, you know, they don't happen overnight. They take, you know, two years, three years sometimes. But it used to be a lot easier to go out and permit, put new fiber infrastructure in the ground. As you know the space is really consolidated and, and you know things continue to accelerate, it's become more difficult to build fiber in the ground, but um, I think there's still a subset of us that are pretty good at it. And, you know we've, we've anchored just before COVID in 2019 the build out of all of Tampa and Orlando. So we built uh, new fiber infrastructure supporting you know thousands of towers across both those markets. And that's a that's a project that like I said got started just in 2019 is, is really finishing up probably the middle of next year so it can still be done I think it just takes a lot of dedication a lot of resources and you got to be very good at managing you know that that supply chain and those uh, those contractors to get the work done
0: so so within we talked a little bit about some of the services they offers for example long haul. for listeners that don't quite know what that means that's that's moving bits and bytes Long distances across state lines, you know, moving it from one coast to the other, things like that, right? Then, then we have you move down the chain, you know, mid haul. Okay. Maybe we're, we're moving things around the state, sort of like, you know, state highways, if you will, to use some of my stupid analogies. And then I think the third piece that really got you guys into wireless was that last mile, right? Getting that last, segment of connectivity to a cell site, to a tower, to a building that needs it to tap into those mid-haul and long-haul networks. Is that that uh, an accurate assessment of how how technology progressed for you guys?
1: Absolutely. You know, at at the core of our business was call it that data center to data center. So those those highways across the US connecting markets and then those, you know, highways within a market connecting data centers. And then off of that is really where you know the the advent 4G 5G and then small cell led to a lot of densification so you know building out into areas off of those networks to hit you know cell towers small cells enterprise businesses all of that it's exactly right
0: yeah. In the, in the earlier days of, of deploying small cells for, you know, the 3G to 4G transition, I remember talking to some folks deploying in Manhattan in New York City. You know, a lot of this happens in the most dense cities first. And they tell these stories about how they'd have a cell site on a corner of, you know, 5th and Broadway that had hundreds, if not thousands of strands of fiber going by it, but they couldn't access any of that to actually serve that tower because it wasn't intended for that kind of local access. And I think that's, that's some of the details that you guys get into to help, help solve this problem for the wireless industry and help advance 4G and 5G, right?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think building fiber infrastructure to macro towers and building that infrastructure is relatively easy. Small cell is a completely different game. And that is where things like how you access a network, how many pairs of fiber actually go to each small cell and then, where each one of those small cells gets front hauled to or from the connectivity, where uh, that small cell needs to be connected, is very, very nuanced, and uh, it's it's also very, very difficult. It's a it's a big burden on your on your fiber backbone, the amount of fiber you have in the ground, um, and they're typically in hard places to reach. They're in the middle of you know the the uh, the sidewalk, and they're particularly difficult to. Um, you know, to permit to, to build to, and they're not the typical points where you would drop, you know, connectivity. You drop connectivity in data centers and enterprise buildings, uh, for the most part. It's it's much more difficult to architect a network to deliver to a pole that's kind of freestanding in, you know, the middle of a street, middle of the sidewalk.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, I can mean to to remind listeners, you know. When we talk macro cells, that's how cellular started. And, you know, you might have a cell site that covers every mile to every five miles. That's sort of the density that we had originally. As we've progressed with 4G and 5G, we have sites every block in dense urban areas. And and so you guys are trying to get fiber literally almost on every street corner, every other street corner in some of these cities. Um, so it's got to be a challenge, but yet it speaks to where we're at as a technology when it regards not just wireless, but everything broadband, broadband telecom. So, uh, it's, it's impressive. So tell us today where you feel things are as it relates to 4g wireless and the transition of 5g specifically, as it relates to your, your, your role in that, that progression, of the technology.
1: Yeah, I would say, um, You know, back to some of my earlier comments where there was a lot of fiber being delivered to the tower, you know, just after that, I would say that 2018, 2019 timeframe, we started to see a lot of small cell deployments, right? We started to see pretty dense small cell deployments and typically we would call an RFP. So basically one of the mobile operators saying, Hey, I need, I need this many small cells in a city. And they put it out to companies like Xeo to say, Hey, can you go do this for us? And we would look at that, and it was pretty daunting. They were very dense networks, uh, just like you said. There was a there was a site, uh, you know, every 300 feet, every 500 feet, so almost every you know corner of a city block, and they were big, big, sticky networks. And from Zaya's perspective, we actually played pretty cautiously in that space. Uh, I think we realized early on that building turnkey small cells within markets is A hugely capital-intensive, time-intensive process, and just the way the network was architected itself, we were a little unsure whether it was going to lend value from an additional business perspective. Uh, We were a little unsure whether we could put two tenants on a small cell or even service more enterprise buildings off those networks. So we were pretty cautious. But I would say that wave really slowed down once some of this new spectrum came out to auction. And really where we are today is the densification of all that new spectrum out on those macro networks. So just like you said, those sites that are, you know, anywhere from a mile to five miles apart, a lot of the connectivity and a lot of the focus, I think, with the mobile operators is deploying of that spectrum onto those macro towers. And for us, that means upgrading our backbones from those macro towers to, you know, fiber or 10 gig. Now, I think, you know, probably in another year or two years from now, somewhere in that time frame, we're going to see small cells come back as, you know, that broader uh, layer of spectrum from a macro perspective gets deployed and there'll be another new wave of small cell. But I do think it's going to be a little bit more surgical, if you will. I think the the, the cost, the time that it takes uh, that, the, that it takes to go deploy a small cell is going to uh, is going to lend to like I said, much more surgical applications, really high dense area high dense areas like in downtowns, in and around arenas or places where people congregate. Um, I don't think it's gonna be some of these broader type deployments that we saw early on, because there's all this additional spectrum layer on the macro layer to give people the uh, the 5G experience that they that they need. So I think from a ZEA perspective, you know, we're we're kind of waiting for that next wave to happen while we go you know, do a ton of work just upgrading our cellular backhaul networks today to support everything that's being deployed now
0: so So then, as these small cell um activities start picking up again, you talked about you know your role the last time where a lot of it had to do with backhaul, but I think you also touched on something else that people might not know, which is that you guys also build small cells. You don't just bring the fiber to the small cells anymore. You're also playing an active role in building those those sites as well, which is a, a another layer in the process.
1: Yeah, yeah, we do. I think we've uh, we own and operate about 5,000 small cells of, across the uh, US and for the listeners out there, I mean, put in kind of terms I think anybody can understand. That is a vertical piece of real estate, a pole that's stuck in the right of way. Sometimes it's wood, sometimes it's stealth and looks pretty like a streetlight. But our responsibility would be to, to acquire the real estate, to put that pole, to put the pole there, to bring power there and to bring fiber there. So basically build all of the infrastructure between fiber, vertical real estate and power that a mobile operator needs to hang radios and propagate a signal. So, you know, it's still an interesting aspect or kind of area of business for us, but you know, we, we also went public or I was sorry went private uh, two years ago and we belong in a portfolio of companies now with brother and sister companies that also do the same. So I think you know go forward, a lot of where we're going to play in that space is probably going to be some competition amongst uh, portfolio companies and really fine- tuning and, 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 and doing what we do really well and have them really do what they do well.
0: Okay, wait a minute, I got to check that. Did you say co-oppetition? competition? I said co-opetition, which is a yeah.
1: maybe I maybe I coined that. You know, but, you know I think it's it's <laughs> great. It's it's yeah. It's, I think it's figuring out uh, where you've got good core competencies and executing on that, and understanding that someone may have uh, a core competency that's a little bit better than yours, and, and leveraging that.
0: I love it. I love it. I'm going to start using that one regularly. Yeah. So. First, I get first <laughs> I have to find an opportunity to cooperate, co opetite co <laughs>
1: it's a, the the fine art of competition yes
2: <laughs> but it does bring up a really good point like when the companies come together they the different services of just you know not just putting the infrastructure in you have the data data center piece of that and then the network side of it so you can you guys are really positioning yourselves not only for the mobile operators but for enterprise who want private network type services
1: yeah I think you know in my role now uh, dealing with the big cloud players, the big carriers, mobile operators, and then, you know, even in the vertical real estate space, I think, you know, where our portfolio of companies sits is super interesting because you've got the clouds chasing enterprise and mobile networks, which need data centers. They need fiber. They need vertical real estate. They need all these pieces of infrastructure uh, for all of this to work. And, um, you know, really focusing on what you really, you do well and building an ecosystem of people around you that do other things well, I think is key. Um, So, you know, we use this term a lot, at least, you know, on the the digital bridge side of the house, convergence, right? There's a convergence of cloud mobility and networks that involves data centers and vertical real estate and fiber that I think is very, very interesting. We've really only scratched the surface. From Xeo's perspective, we play, you know, really well in that fiber space. You know, building out the fiber infrastructure, the low latency infrastructure, new fiber infrastructure to connect cloud to data center, enterprise to data center, enterprise to cloud, and mobile network to core into cloud. So, you know, I'll use it again. There's a convergence of all that that needs fiber.
0: So, so as you guys are are doing the thing that you do in the marketplace right now, give us a sense for. What are, what are some of the long poles in the tent that, so to say, are, are the biggest hurdles in these deployments? And maybe where are some of the areas that you're seeing the most momentum where things are, are humming along?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, where, where we have the most momentum is really in the areas that, that we can control. I think we've spent a tremendous amount of money upgrading our fiber infrastructure, deliver 10 gig to the tower, and, and make sure that the footprint that we have is, you know, quote unquote, 5G ready. The things we can't control are some of the things I alluded to earlier that have just become um, for for one reason or another more difficult. And that's really the construction of fiber. You know, I, they're building a new school down the street from us and like our streets all ripped up. And I look at it and I'm like, well, when is this going to get done? Like this is it bothers me. There's dust, there's all these things. But when we build fiber networks, so, you know, it's a lot of the same thing. So, you know, permitting, getting right away. Uh, franchise fees, right away fees, all those things are becoming you know, more difficult to deal with, more costly, and the cost to construct is going up. So I mean, that puts pressure on a lot of these deployments. And I think from Zayo's perspective, we spend a good bit of time, money, and, uh, and elbow grease just really understanding kind of where these cities and municipalities are at, talking to them about the the value of fiber and what that infrastructure can do for businesses in the area, for enterprises in the area, for residentials in the area, um, and then working with them to help solve that problem, right? We want to do things in an aesthetically pleasing way. We want to manage and do traffic control really well. we want to be really courteous with our construction, but we want to go get it done. And we want to get it done um, in a means that meets the timelines for our customers. So, those are a lot of the challenge that we, that we work with, kind of every day building that fiber infrastructure. Is making sure that you know we're a good uh, uh, you know we're, we're a good infrastructure provider in the places we going to live and work and operate our networks, and we're partnering with those cities to solve the problem because it's not an easy problem. They've got people you know raising their hands not wanting to have a small cell in front of their house or have their road ripped up for fiber, but we want to make sure that we're you know we're you know, expressing what this infrastructure is going to do for, uh, for their communities.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How, how did supply chain affect you guys with the pandemic and in both in regard to hard capital assets, like fiber optic cable, as well as the, the soft human capital side workers, how did that impact you guys? And how do you, how do you see things going right now and, and, and that being resolved?
1: As I look back at these last two and a half years, I mean, it's pretty amazing. Some of the things that we had to go through, I mean, you know, we kicked off that project in central Florida, really right before, you know, the the onslaught of COVID. And once COVID hit, um, you know, telecom is still an essential service, we still have to get out and operate our networks and make sure that uh, there's connectivity. And we're meeting the SLAs for our customers, because there's a lot of critical traffic that rides over these these networks, mobile networks, 911 traffic, etc. But, you know, we had issues like we couldn't find people to do locates uh, in Florida. So we had to actually bring people into Florida uh, to do locates so we could go build the network and meet the timeframes for the, uh, uh, for the customers. I would say now in a supply chain world, I think we're managing through it as best uh, as as anybody. We've pre-bought a tremendous amount of of, uh, network equipment. So the optical equipment that's, that's lighting the signal over our fiber, we continue to pre-buy a lot of fiber and conduit those pieces that you need to go build networks. And I think we're starting to see, uh, at least in a lot of our markets, you know, the, the the tightening of of that human capital supply chain, the ability of people, you know, to go work coming down a little bit. But you know, there's there's also a lot of work to be had. You got a tremendous amount of money being plumbed into the infrastructure space to do things like fiber to the home. Along with five G type deployments, so there is a lot of uh, demand on uh, on these construction companies, the people that we subcontract and contract out work to. So, um, you know, we're managing through that. I think the best we can. And today, I think it's you know uh, we're in a, we're in a pretty good spot.
2: That's definitely good to hear. I mean, you know, in the industry, you know, you hit a key term. You use the term lip fiber. Do you guys equally, you know? dark and lit? I mean, what what does that look like for you guys moving forward?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, at at the core, we're a telecommunications infrastructure company. So half of our revenue, like I said, is is just dark fiber, uh, where we're actually leasing someone fiber pair. But the other half is lit services, where, you know, we're deploying the optical equipment on top of that, and we're supplying some other higher layer of service to, uh, to a customer. And that'll always be our bread and butter. I think as we continue to expand our networks, uh, like we talked about earlier, getting off of those you know, freeways and interstates and more into uh, dense urban areas and, and downtown CBD areas, we're going to continue to, to broaden that connectivity to more enterprises, you know, more small cells, more towers, et cetera. Uh, and that could be a myriad of you know, dark fiber or some type of uh, uh, finished service that we uh, offer to customers.
0: Acronym clarification: CBD means Central Business De- District. It does not mean the uh, the other. Although I I could see maybe some use cases coming out of the other definition.
1: Yeah, I, I am from Colorado, so it's, I say CBD a lot. <laughs> but I should probably I should probably correct myself. Yeah. Central Business District.
0: <laughs> but that does it is a good segue into something you and I've talked about in the past, which is which is. Um, you know, seeing what types of use cases, there's there's always been lots of promises. 3G to 4G, what's 4G going to really do for us? 4G <laughs> to 5G, what's it really going to do for us? We've done lots of episodes on this topic. You know, you are you guys are where the rubber meets the road. What kind of use cases are you actually seeing these days that are coming f- to fruition from the 5G deployments you're doing? And, and maybe what are some of the ones that aren't occurring yet and, and why do you think that might be? Yeah, it's
1: interesting. I mean, I think if you think of, like, some of the core tenets of 5G, so increased throughput, ultra-reliability, ultra-low latency, you know, ultra-high connectivity, lots of connected devices. Where, where I see, um, you know, the rubber hitting the road and their actual business cases coming through and people are making money is the throughput space. I think you see this with fixed wireless to the home. I mean, T-Mobile is, is putting a tremendous amount of subs and being very disruptive in this space at um, Offering an at-home uh, uh, product off of their uh, their mobile network, right? So you know that to me is a throughput uh, scenario all the way that requires more connectivity to the tower, better spectrum to be able to offer that throughput to the home. Um, as you get into some of the other niche things like ultra high reliability, ultra low latency, I think it's been a little bit hit and miss. Now you know there are a subset of instances where I do think. Um, some of this is coming true. And I think for Azeo, we're seeing this as an interesting opportunity to start to mesh some of the, terrestri- you know, the, the terrestrial, you know, uh, what we call WAN, so Wide Area Network Services, with a wireless service, a private wireless service. So things like factories, uh, we're looking at building connectivity and deploying a software layer and the infrastructure at the factory to build a wireless network, a private 5G or private LTE network that's tied to the land-based network that uh, we're building. So we're doing this in the factory space. We're doing this in the retail space. And, you know, some of that is just for increased throughput or to manage things like mobility. So within a factory where you've got a lot of connected devices moving around, they're starting you know, to, to understand that Wi-Fi doesn't quite have the coverage that they need. So I think for us, that's where we see a lot of those, uh, those early use cases for some of those other tenants of 5G start to uh, start to prove out. Now I think you're going to you know continue to see those develop. I think probably slower than a lot of people you know pontificated, but in that healthcare space, uh, in you know further down into the, the the shipping yards, things like that. But I still think it's it's early there. So from Zayo's perspective, I think we're looking really, you know, one, make sure that we're well positioned to meet the needs of the mobile operators, right? To deliver high quality bandwidth or fiber with their macro towers and their small cells. And then for our enterprise customers, make sure that we're there uh, with a fiber based product and a capability to layer on the infrastructure on premise to manage the wireless network. And once you tie that wireless network on prem to that, uh, that that WAN network, it's pretty powerful, because you can then control the SLAs for things like latency and jitter and all these other things without having to worry about offloading onto someone else's mobile network. Um, and to me, that's a very interesting space for us as we start to develop uh, kind of more and more you know, use cases with folks.
0: Yeah, our, our last episode, as a matter of fact, we had uh, Jason Jennings from Morten, Mortensen Construction and, and his focus for Mortensen is the entertainment and sport arena space where they're, and, and, you know, Wayne's company Vertex has played a role in this. We're deploying new distributed antenna systems at some of the new venues, like uh, where the Ra- the Raiders are playing in Las Vegas and, and, and like, and, and he touched on the fact that they are already starting to see some of these use cases around virtual reality, augmented reality, which that in and of itself starts requiring some of those low latency, um, super responsive networks that you're talking about. So I could see, you know, that DAS is not going to be able to do what it needs to do if it doesn't have that low latency, high capacity fiber connection to facilitate it. So uh, definitely starting to see some of that, you know, eke its way into the network and it'd be interesting to see how much more of it we see.
1: Yeah. I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to start to see, you know, mobile edge compute, like actually putting some of the compute aspects of, of having to run those really true ultra low latency networks at the edge. Um, And then, you know, obviously, I've been to the Raiders new stadium. I mean, these big sporting arenas, it's becoming a truly immersive type experience, whether you're on your phone, you know, gambling, you know, watching kind of real time stat updates, or getting into things like, you know, AR, VR, uh, type experiences at an arena. I mean, um, to me that's going to be pretty exciting to watch. And as a, as a fan, I'm excited to, to go kind of, you know, enjoy that. I mean, I was amazed. I was at the Raiders Monday night game, their first Monday night game last year, um, at their new stadium, and I remember sitting there. And there's family in front of me that had they must have had five children, and they were all watching and and streaming. You know, I I knew they were streaming because they were selecting off Netflix, not downloaded things, but things that they were going to watch like off the Wi-Fi network at the stadium. And it's like you've got an entire stadium of connected devices and these, this family is able to keep their kids entertained watching Netflix. The whole game. It was, it was, it was pretty interesting.
0: That's funny. Yeah. That's an expensive ticket to go sit and watch Netflix, I guess, but Hey, family goes to the Raiders game together, stays together, right? There you go. There you go.
2: Yeah. It's a good use case. So what, what predictions, you know, next three to five years, what do you see in the industry? That's you a know, tough it's, one.
1: It's a, uh, it, it is a tough one. Um, you know, I, I'm i really interested to see kind of how much of the network core kind of evolves into the cloud. I mean, you've got Dish out there building their network core in the cloud, and, you know, we're 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 working kind of hand-in-glove with them to build out that connectivity. But um, I'm really interested to see kind of where that lands in the U.S. with some of the big guys. Um, and, you know, from a ZEO perspective, you know, I think we're going to continue to partner with, with both the clouds and telcos to figure out. How do you stand that infrastructure up to support the latency requirements needed to, to operate a mobile network that close? Right. So, from my perspective, I'm really interested to see that. I think the you know the use cases for five G and the monetization of things like uh, ultra high reliability and low latency. I think that's probably going to play out toward the tail end of that that five years. But, I, you know, I, I could be wrong. I just remember sitting in all those conferences pre COVID where everybody's using, you know, all these three letter acronyms. And it's like, Oh man, the the future is here, but it just, I think it takes a little longer. And I think uh, these networks are hard to go deploy. Uh, They're expensive to go deploy. I think the mobile operators are sinking a ton of money into these networks as are we. Um, And there's, there's kind of, you know, pockets of of interesting use cases starting to develop. I just think they're going to take time before uh, they're really fully, uh, developed, But it'll happen, and I think it'll just happen toward the the tail end. And I think, you know, from Zaya's perspective, we want to make sure that we're network-ready, that we're 5G-ready, and that we stay on that innovative path with both the enterprises, the clouds, and the mobile operators.
2: You know, uh, one, one thought that came to mind, I probably should have asked it earlier, but what about rural broadband? You know, you guys are out there everywhere. Are you taking part in some of the, you know, those programs that the government released on rural broadband to the underserved?
1: yeah we are. you know, I, I don't know that uh, from ZeO's strategy perspective, we'll ever be out building dense fiber networks in rural America. But where I do know that we play is if you look at our networks and we use that term long haul, long haul, building fiber between metros, you know, we've got a strong desire to partner uh, with uh, with with states, cities, counties, and some of those funding buckets to ensure that the infrastructure that we have traversing those states, the new infrastructure that we build, is set up in a way that we can drop traffic in those rural areas, that we can enable wholesale access to internet rates in the middle of you know, North Dakota, South Dakota, some of these areas, that the folks that are going to use those funds to build out networks to the home have access to that wholesale internet rates. And I think that's key to one, ensuring that, you know, we continue to see parity or drive parity and, you know, what we call a price per gig, right, Um, and the availability of that. So we are actively engaged in that and uh, have a team really focused on making sure that where we're building fiber, we're going to enable access to that infrastructure uh, to make sure that ecosystem has a place to grow uh, and a place to go. So.
0: That's good stuff. Listen, listen, Brian, really appreciate your time. It's great to catch up with you, get the perspective of some of the folks that are actually making these networks happen. If, if we've got a listener that, um, wants to learn more about how Zayo can help them or, or, you know, interacting with, with some of the projects you have going on, what, what's the best way? I mean, obviously Zayo.com, right. Be the website, any other, any other ways for people to connect with you?
1: Yeah. Zayo.com is the best place, uh, best place to get to know us, right. We've got an entire network there. We've got access to our team, uh there and uh, it's definitely the best place to interface with uh with all things I know. and we just refreshed it so our marketing department would be happy that i i, I dropped a, a you know uh whatever you call it for our website but it is a very innovative tool we're very open with a lot of our network
0: yeah i i would agree with that I, that's been the case the whole time in my career that it, a lot of network operators kind of hold tight behind their vest where their network actually resides and what they have. And Zayo has always been upfront. It's really easy to see where you guys have network, where you're deploying new network. Um, so it's, it's really great, a great resource to see where Zayo might be able to help someone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think transparency is key. We want to, we want to build infrastructure to enable carriers, enterprises, mobile operators, everybody. That's uh, that's
2: our goal. Perfect. Well, I think and that's a wrap. I mean, you know, I hand it back over to Dan. He does a good, Good job finishing, but thanks <laughs> thanks for the info. super informative.
0: Yeah, thanks, Brian. Sure. Um, really appreciate your time. I know you're busy, so uh, taking time away to help educate our listeners is always appreciated. And um, until uh, next time, for all our listeners, as always, reach out to us on uh, 5gguys.com. Give us your feedback, questions, ideas for future episodes. Check out our blogs. We have some good information, acronym lists, things of that nature. So uh, until next time, thank you for uh, listening. Take care. Thank you, guys.
1: Thanks for listening to the 5G Guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5GGuys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family.